0: 19, if you'd stand with me, John chapter 19, and I like it when he, when I could not come to where he was, he came to me, I'll preach on the love of Christ this morning, what manner of love and boy, no, no greater way to see God's love than to look at to the cross and how he came for us. But John chapter 15, verse nine, and I'd like to read these verses together as you, as you arrive there, John chapter 15 and verse nine. If you're saved this morning, I hope you look back for a little bit today and remember what Christ did for you at the cross. And if you don't know Him, I, I hope today is the day you come to know Christ as your Savior. But John chapter 15, verse 9 through 14, I'd like to read these verses aloud together. So if you would, look to John chapter 15 and verse 9, and we'll read through verse 14. Read with me. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends." Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for how good you have been to us. I thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord, where you would take a moment to remind your disciples that you loved them. But, Lord, this Scripture wasn't just for them. it's, It's for us here today. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. And Lord, I know every part of it, you have something for us. And I pray this morning that as I open up the scripture, that I would make clear what it is you have for us this morning and that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and instruct us from the word. Lord, and that we'd have a spirit of surrender, Lord, to what it is that you have for us this morning. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This passage of scripture speaks of the love of Christ. And it's an amazing passage of scripture. The Lord was reminding his disciples that he loved them, and they needed it, all right? He had spent with three years with them, and he had been walking with them, teaching them, instructing them. He had called them out of uh, various vocations and called them to serve him, and and he was about ready to leave. He had just had the last supper with his disciples in the upper room, and he had broke bread with them, and they had taken the juice and supped together that last of the Passover suppers, the first of the Lord's suppers, if you will. And uh, he met with his disciples, and you know the story. As Judas would sneak out of, uh, would, well, not sneak out, he would leave and go to get the soldiers to come back and catch the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the Lord often went to pray. And so he knew where he was going to be, and while he, Judas was gone, the Lord was having that conversation with his disciples, knowing that within a few short hours he would be gone or, and he would take that moment and Judas would come into the garden and would betray him and with his soldiers and the Lord would be taken away and crucified. And then, of course, and three days later, rise again and he'd meet with them for 40 days and then ascend up into glory. And he was preparing them. And just like we do with our loved ones many times, we... When we're about ready to leave, we say, hey, I love you. We want them to know that we love them, and and we tell them that. Here's the Lord telling his disciples, I love you, and I want you to know I love you. There's some hard times coming. There's some struggles coming, but I want you to know I love you. And, boy, the Lord would give the greatest demonstration of love ever known to man in just a few short hours from this moment. The greatest demonstration of love, his sacrifice at Calvary, that we might know exactly how much. And so he begins to teach some some things about love. Now, we use the word love really liberally all right we use it quite quite liberally and uh for instance you might say i love hamburgers how many of you love hamburgers five guys all right i love those five guys hamburgers and i also love those culver's hamburgers i'm glad they put one in georgia all right uh finally they got one on the right side of the river sorry okay i'm teasing okay i'm teasing all right see who i can stir up today okay and brother mark is stewing over there that alabama fan all right uh but um But here it is, we use the word love liberally sometimes, there's certain things, but then there's other times we use it very specifically and meaningfully. I I love my wife, and we were talking recently about when we realized that we first loved each other, and uh, we had had run into, our families had known each other for a long time, and uh, her dad was a pastor, my dad was a pastor, and when my grandfather retired, he moved to Alabama, All right, he moved to Alabama, and he worked in a church there with my father-in-law, and so our families knew each other a, a little bit, but it was, in, uh, it was in a, at a youth conference. She was there with some teenagers. I was there for a night helping with just one night, and we passed each other, and we started talking, and so that was in August, and I showed up at their church the next Sunday night, all right, and from there on out, uh, we, started, uh, we started dating, and uh, she was a student at Pensacola Christian College, so uh, this was in August. She only had a couple weeks before she headed back, and uh, she went back, and we talked quite a bit, and... Um, I went down to see her. I I don't remember. Was it fine arts? I think it was fine arts. I went down there. It really wasn't fine arts that I went to see. I didn't care for any. Uh, You know, I I went to see my wife, all right? She wasn't my wife at the time, but... I went to see her and I went down there and, and got to see her and went to fine arts with her and I was getting ready to leave the campus. As a matter of fact, I already said goodbye and I was driving off campus and all of a sudden it stopped me and I thought, well, I think I love this girl, all right? I think I love this girl. So I turned around to go back and find her so I could tell her and she was already in her classroom, all right? So I had to drive, flew out of Pensacola and for some reason she was back in uh, November of that year for some reason. I, we couldn't figure out why because it was out of the normal and, uh, and I told her that I loved her. I asked her, and she said she knew before then. All right, she knew before I did that she she loved me, and to know me is to love me. All right, no, I'm teasing. All right, I'm teasing. I'll get myself I'll get myself in trouble. All right, and uh, I'll get myself in trouble this morning. But I, but I realized it, and you know that December that it was Christmas Eve. I asked her if she would marry me, and she said yes, and and uh, so now she's been stuck with me since then. All right, and uh, but but we use that word. It's not a careless word in those situations. There are times maybe when we use it. Carelessly, but I, but I think in this passage of scripture, when the Lord Jesus says it, it's, it's probably the height of the use of it, isn't it? You know, we're limited in our capabilities, aren't we? Our love, we as people, has a little bit has its, its limits, but God's love is limitless. And matter of fact, the call of the Christian, even as we read this passage of scripture, is not to love to our capability, but to love to his capability. And therein is, is that perfect love, loving the way God calls us to love. But in this passage of scripture, the Lord looks at his disciples. And the first thing I want you to notice is there is a commended love. There is a commended love. In Romans 5, and verse 8, it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? Died for us. John would say again in the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Well, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, commended towards us, demonstrated, showed us the love that he has towards us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is the love of God for a sinner that brought Christ to this earth. It's pretty incredible. Matter of fact, he'll say in verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Boy, the Lord declares His love for His disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Talk about love. A perfect love. This love that we see of God the Father for God the Son. And He turns around and He says, so have I loved you. You ever think about the Lord's love? Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19. The Lord would encourage us to think upon it. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, and the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ, and then this statement which passeth knowledge, that he might be filled with the fullness of God. Boy, it's an it is inexhaustible. It's a unexplainable love and you ever come to a moment you're realizing how good God has been and how much God has loved you and maybe something you do or something you think upon reminds you of how unworthy you are of his love you cannot explain why he loves you but you know that he does it's an incredible love think about it in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the water and God said let there be light and There was light. God spoke this world into existence. He hung the stars in the sky, the the, the moon in the sky, the, the sun in the sky. He created this world. He created all the beauty of this world that we sometimes marvel at. The creation, the animals that move across this earth, the beauty of his creation. And yet, there is only one creature that he made in his image. The Lord would say in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, Let us make man in our image. And God the Father would make us in His image. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made in His image a body, soul, and spirit and shaped and formed man and would breathe life into His nostrils of all the other creation God made us to reflect Him. And He he made us knowing our sin that would come into this world. He would put that tree in the Garden of Eden. And tell Adam and Eve, you can have every other tree, but just don't eat of that tree. See, he gave Adam and Eve the choice, didn't he? For me, it was somewhere around November, September that I realized that I loved my wife. And so it brought me to a, I loved Hannah, she wasn't my wife at the moment. So it brought me to this place of giving her a choice, didn't it? December 24th, that year, I asked her, Hannah, will you marry me? When I asked her, I didn't have handcuffs in my pocket, all right? Uh, Maybe I should have, all right? No, but I didn't. I was giving her a choice. Would you spend the rest of your life with me? Now, I wasn't summed up all those words. Those words were summed up in, will you marry me? Would you you spend the rest of your life with me? Would you go with me through the good times, through the bad times, through the course of life from this moment forward, and just about a year later on January 10th, we would walk down the aisle, and she would make those promises. There in the garden, God gave man a choice, didn't he? He placed that tree in the garden. And he said, will you? I love you. I made you in my image. I walk with you in the cool of the day. But will you do that for all of eternity? Will you walk with me? Will you spend time with me? He was the resurrection and the life. He is all that is holy, all that is pure, all that is good, all that is love. If you could put a good name to it, it belonged in God. You and I know the story, don't we? Adam and Eve chose the opposite. Incredible, isn't it? And they ate of the tree. They said no to the God of heaven. And so what entered into this world was all the opposite to God, wasn't it? Rather than life, there was death and separation from God. Rather than holiness, there was sin. And rather than joy, there was heartache. And rather than pleasure, there was pain and Rather than all those things that God desired for man to know, by walking close to him, the opposite came into this world and death and heartache. And yet the love of God. He had a plan. He knew what they would do. And so before the foundation of the earth, he made his plan. His plan was for his son, Jesus. God would declare his love here in in this book of John, but... He would also, not only did he declare his, Lord, lo, his love for us, but, but look at what he says in verse 13. He would demonstrate his love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his what? Friends, I think of the scripture, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As much as God has declared his love for us, he has also demonstrated his love for us. Because if he didn't love us when, man, when Adam and Eve ate of that garden, he should have started all over again, right? But he didn't. He gave man another chance. He gave man another chance, and he sent sent his own son, Jesus, to be born in that little manger in Bethlehem to live his life without sin, to walk for three years with his disciples, preaching and teaching, and then that night, this very night that we read about here, he would go to that Garden of Gethsemane, and he would pray, Lord, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but thine be done. Lord, if there's some other manner you love these people, I love these people, and if there is no other way, thy will be done. So you would hear the steps of Judas and his band coming through the garden and his disciples sleeping. The Lord would wake them one last time as he had asked them to pray, but they had fallen asleep. A kiss of betrayal led out of the garden, led before Caiaphas, an illegal trial, lied about, sent off to Pilate because they could not kill him. Pilate would send him back to Herod and Herod back to Pilate. And finally, Pilate would try to make a trade. How about Barabbas or Jesus? And rather than releasing Christ, they chose to release the murderer. They took our Savior and they beat him with a cat of nine tails till his flesh hung from his bones and his bones were made bare, shoving the crown of thorns upon his face, beaten by centurions. They would pluck out his beard and beat him and abuse him so badly that the Bible would say he was unrecognizable as a man. They would make him carry his cross to Calvary and drive nails through his hands and through his feet and hang him upon that cross. But the amazing thing about it is even as Christ cried out his, some of his last words, would say that he gave up the ghost. Another man, no man took his life from him. He laid his life down. Why? Love. Because there was no other way. Sin had to be paid for. And every man that entered in this world has been a sinner since Adam and Eve chose to eat of that tree. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And yet Jesus said, let me step in. Let me step in. I will pay for their sin. He took the wrath of God, the consequence of sin. He took our sin upon him at Calvary. I think of as he hung on the cross, as he looked up at heaven, as the heavens darkened, and God the Father turned his back on God the Son, and he cried out to God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the answer was that he took our sin upon him. Hebrews chapter uh, 12 and verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame." He endured the suffering of Calvary. The cat of nine tails, the nails through his hands, and the brutality of the cross and the physical pain. But it wasn't just the brutality, the physical suffering, but he despising the shame. He took the shame of our sin upon him and paid for it. Remember the sin that when you committed it, it left you dirty. Feeling ashamed, dirty, filthy. You ever hear about the sins sometimes in our world and it just leaves you feeling dirty? Maybe you've been down that road and you feel worthless and dirty and filthy. That moment at Calvary, Christ took that filthiness and that dirtiness and that sin upon him. The shame of Calvary. And he paid for it. And he died for us. And he rose again three days later. Why? So that I would not know the shame of sin, but that the righteousness of God would be upon me. He made a trade. He took my shame and my sin that day at Calvary and gave me his righteousness and life. That whosoever believeth on the name of the Lord should not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, Here's your choice again choose Christ, choose Calvary, know what it is to have life and the resurrection and life and a hope of heaven or choose to reject him again and know sin and the eternal separation from God. But there is a love that is commended that God has offered to all. It is a love that he declared and has declared throughout all of history. And there is a love that he has demonstrated in our life by Calvary and anybody who's put their trust in Christ knows that love, don't you? May of 1995, Madeira Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, on a Wednesday night, I bowed my head and said, Lord, I need you. And this guy who was a sinner became a saint of God, well, not always acted like it, but a child of God. There is a love that is commended to his people. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation to know Christ, to know his love. A love that we might know the breadth and the height and the length and the depth that you might make a study of it for all of history and still never reach its limits. It's an unselfish love. It's it's an undying love. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can quench the love of God? Nothing. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. God loves you just as much now as he always has and always will and there's no changing it. Boy, fellowship is a little bit different, isn't it? Well, God's love is it's an unchanging love, but I can maybe break fellowship, but I can never change his love for me. I can never change the relationship that I have from him from the moment I trusted Christ. The word says, and he gave unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand, that God took me the moment of salvation, placed me in his hands, and he said, no man can get you out of there. That's including you, Seth whereby we receive the spirit of adoption and we cry, Abba, Father. The Lord said, to as many as as received him, to them give you the power to become the sons of God. An unbroken relationship by the blood of Christ. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said he sealed us under the day of redemption by the wonderful gift of his Holy Spirit. And he said, I will never leave thee. He has given us the promise of his presence, the promise of heaven, the undying love of God. Now you can hinder your fellowship with him but you cannot break your relationship with him and his love for you. You cannot stop it. The love of God. The love of God. He has declared it. He has proved it. He has offered it. What is so incredibly amazing is the fact that someone could look and say no. Adam, Eve chose it. No. And God sent his son. And there are still some today who will look to Calvary and say no. But the incredible love of God. It's a commended love. It is a conforming love for all those who receive it. Look at what he says here as he looks at his disciples as he's preparing to go. He said in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Well, there is a love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Well, in other words, there's an evidence of God's love at work in our life and our love for him. 2 Corinthians 5:14 through 15 says this. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Look again at verse 10, and notice how the Lord said what the Lord says about his love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. And then look what he says here. Even as I have kept my what? Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, the Savior gave us the perfect illustration of an abiding love, didn't he? He came into the world sinless savior and he lived his life following the will of his father many times he would say i must be a, a he would i came to do the will of my father a matter of fact he would tell his mother mary and his er, and his earthly mother mary and uh, his uh, and joseph as they came to find him in the temple at 12 years of age he would look at them and say i must be about my father's what business why the constraining love of god he said i love him When Satan would come to tempt him in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 and the Lord would resist the temptation and no sin would be found in the Lord and it was a wonderful picture of this that there was a father in heaven who loved his son Jesus and he loved him in return and so he abided in his word. Well, I'll tell you something, Christian. There's something about a love for God that drives us to his word and obedience to it. The love of Christ constraineth us. Well let me read those let me just read those again. The love for the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. Ephesians 5 1 2, 2, it says be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offspring and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savior be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love on occasion I'll talk to someone who believes that you can lose in salvation and look at me as someone who doesn't believe that you can lose your salvation and because that's what the Bible says by the way but I'll say, well, why should someone ever serve the Lord, and, and why should they live a certain way if you, can, if you cannot lose it? If, if, if you can lose it, there's somewhat of a fear of losing your salvation. I'll say, you, you're misunderstanding. Someone doesn't follow God because they fear Him. They follow God because they love Him. We didn't come here today because we feared Him, did we? I didn't come here today because I was afraid that lightning might strike out of a clear blue sky and strike me if I decided to stay home and swim in the pool today. I came here today because he left the throne of heaven. He came to me when I could not go. Come to him. He loved me. He loved me. I will walk in his word this week not because I fear but because I love because there is one who loved me. Oh, don't get me wrong. The Lord chasteneth whom he loveth, doesn't he? If that's how low we go, that we fail to remember the love of God, then God will chasten us back to where we should be. But the Greatest, I think the beginning of wisdom is the what? Fear of the Lord. That's baseline Christian living. But the height of living for the Lord is living for him because you love him. And he's reminding us of that in this passage of scripture. And love me, walk into his word because you love him. There is a love that God seeks from us to follow him because we've been constrained by his love. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others because we love him. I, I think of the day I, I walked down that aisle and told my wife and I made my vows to my wife and we were married that day. Can I tell you something? My life has changed drastically. All right. In wonderful, wonderful ways, babe. I, you know, wonderful, wonderful ways. I remember, I think it was Thursday night. My wife doesn't like it when I tell the story. I, it was Thursday night. I was in the house on Holman Avenue there in Terre Haute, and uh, it hit me that night. I'm getting married on Saturday. I mean, it hit me, all right? I was like, I'm getting married. All of a sudden, I was thinking, it's not going to just be me anymore, right? Now, there was some exciting aspects to it. I, I was looking forward to it, but the reality is I thought, hmm, it's not going to be just me worrying about me anymore. There's someone else to to come along, and I... That night, I, 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 I began, but, I, but something brought me to the place. I love this woman. I want to spend the rest of my life with this lady. I want to be with her. My life has changed. It's been very different. But I wouldn't go back to that way of living ever again. Why? Love. I remember when my older brother, Matthew, got married. He's got 11 children now. 11 children. He is nuts, all right? Every once in a while... Every once in a while, someone will ask me, How are you going to try to catch up with your brother? Ha ha, no, all right, no. <laughs> all right, and but I remember, I remember it was that he got married at First Baptist Church of Milford there in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, and we they were in the the conference room, it was the the conference room where the staff would meet, and that's where all the all of us guys were at that were, you know, his groomsmen, and we sat there, and on the wall there in the conference room, in big red letters, it said, It's not about you anymore, all right. I guess it was a reminder to the staff, It's not about you, all right. But I looked at my brother, I put it up, and I laughed and said, Hey, Matthew, it's not going to be about you anymore, all right? And it's not. It's been Susan 11 children, all right? <laughs> but his life changed. My life changed. I wouldn't go back to it for a minute. I wouldn't go back for it to a minute. My life changed in May of 1995. I came to know my Savior. Can I tell you something? I want to please Him. And I, it's not that I fear Him. It's that I love him. I don't want to displease him because I'm afraid of his wrath. I don't want to displease him because I love him. He loves me. Conformed by the love of God. So many times, you know, folks are failing to remember how much God loved them and what he's done in their life and living in a way that says... Lord, how do I live not unto myself but unto you this today? Because I want to know when I leave this place today that I have pleased him with my life. You can tell what you love by who you try to please. You can tell what you love by who you try to please. Trying to please you? you? Trying to please others? Or are you trying to please God? Who we're trying to please in our life is a reflection of who we love in this life. We love him because he first loved us. There's a call to, it's a change of our life, a constraining love, but how about this? uh, Look at this commanded love, and now he begins to talk about a love towards others. Boy, this is convicting. Verse 12, this is my commandment that ye love what? One another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I wonder if he's looking at Peter and John. (laughs) You know, I've seen several jokes about it, but you know that some of the Gospels record that that one of the disciples cut off the servants of Malchus' ear in the garden. You remember that? But John calls him by name, Peter, (laughs) right? He calls him, it was Peter that cut that guy's ear off. That's what he says. John would remind them that when they came running to the empty tomb in the gospel of John, that Peter stopped at the empty door or that John outran Peter into the tomb, right? I think at the time that John would go and James and John and their mother would go to the Lord and say, can we sit at the right hand and the other disciples would get angry with one another. It was like the Lord was looking at him. I'm leaving. Let me leave you a command. Love one another. You ever look at your children? you better get along while I'm gone, right? You better get along while I'm gone. He looked at his disciples and said, love one another, love. And then he makes a statement, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. He gave the crux of what that love will look like. Sometimes you're going to have to lay down yourself for somebody else. In first John three, fourteen through sixteen, he would say these words We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and he knoweth no murder that or and is a murderer, and, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Or he calls us to be willing to lay down our lives. We live in a rights-based society. Give me my rights. Always with an expectation. Always living sometimes with just a, a spirit of, of they deserve something. And Christ calls us this. The love of the Christian is that they're willing to lay down their life for their brother. You know what hinders forgiveness and causes bitterness? A lack of a willingness to lay down your life and your wants. For another. He uses this example. Your Savior laid down his life. Sometimes you're going to have to lay down your wants, rights, and desires for another. Sometimes when it comes to sharing the gospel, you're going to have to lay down what you want. So that someone else can hear the gospel. Sometimes when it comes to this matter of forgiveness, you're going to have to say, They may have been wrong, but I'm willing to lay down my rights and forgive. Because Jesus could certainly say, they are wrong, but I'll lay down my life for them all. It is a love that conforms us, isn't it? It changes our life. The love of Christ is not an excuse to live in sin. It's a call to get out of sin. Because he loves us can we say then? What we, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer? What? Therein. The grace of God, the love of God is not an excuse and, an, and a whitewashing of it to stay in it, but it is rather come out from it and be different because there's one who loves you and died for you. The call to love one another is a result of a Savior that said, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. Be willing to lay down your life For another. Love of God. It's a conforming love. It's a continuing love. And I'll be finished. Look at verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you. That my joy might remain in you. And that your joy might be full. Go up to verse 10. If ye keep my commandments ye shall what? Abide in my love to dwell in to remain in even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full If you go over a chapter to chapter 14 and verse 26, he says this But the comforter which is the holy ghost whom the father will send in my name He shall teach you all things and bring all things your remembrance Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's promising peace. And in verses 19 through 23, he said, yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. And that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if a man love me and will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. There's an abiding in God, a continuing in his love to continue in his word and to know his joy that comes from walking in obedience to the Lord and to his word. You notice he, joy, when you think about joy as he talks about here, abiding in love will bring forth joy. You know, when you think about the fruits of the spirit, you know what joy finds itself between Love and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Joy is sandwiched there between love and peace. And if you read this passage of Scripture, the Lord says He's going to give a peace, not as the world giveth. Who gives that peace? He, when you read this portion of Scripture, it's the comforter. When He speaks about His love, what does He speak about abiding in? His word and His commandments. See, there is a joy that only comes from abiding in his word under the filling of his spirit that produces a love that is conformed and shaped, that gives us joy in our Christian life. I can tell you this. You can live in disobedience to God's word, but you will never know the joy of the Lord in that place. You can know the happiness of a circumstance, right? Boy, I used to drink a, a lot of Mountain Dew. Now I stick to coffee and... Unsweet tea, all right? You know, much so much better, right? And, but I remember when I was a teenager, my brother and I would go out and visit a bus route, and here was my diet for that morning, all right? It was a box of those chocolate donuts. You know those little chocolate donuts? I love those things. And a one liter of Mountain Dew. And for some reason, I was still only 180 pounds, all right? Uh, mainly because I was crazy, all right? But, but I remember that. Now, I wouldn't do that now because I would probably die in the spot on the moment, <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, that was my diet. Now, you know what it would do? It, you know, here's what that does for you. It gives you about two hours of whoosh, and about four hours of whoosh, right? Just crash. Can I tell you what following this world will do? It'll give you about two hours of this and a lifetime of this. You know, walking in opposition to the word of God will do. It'll give you a, lot of, a few moments of going up and a lifetime of crashing down. You know what? Walking in obedience to God's word and spending time in his word and allowing his spirit to leave you in your life. It'll give you a joy. The joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord again, always. And again, I say rejoice. To follow him, to love and let his love constrain us. I'm a child of God. I love Brother Morrison. One, A couple times he's told me this, but trust in Christ when you're 25. Am I right, Brother Morrison? 25, and if I remember right, you had been in church for a long time, right? Kind of growing up in church. 25, you trusted Christ as a Savior. And I think you told me one time that up until that point, you really hadn't read your Bible, am I right? Or not much of it anyway. He said, when I trusted Christ, you opened it up and you just read it through, didn't you? You loved the God, God's Word. Something happened in his life. He came to a place where he realized there was a God who loved him and he loved him. And how was God going to speak to him, this one who loved him so much? Where is it found at, friend? In his word, in his word, it's found right here. You're going to love him and you want to hear from him, you're going to run to his word. Hey, I I think when my wife and I, uh, you know, she would send cards and I would send cards back. Matter of fact, how many remember when you only had so many minutes on your phone plan, right? You had only so many minutes on your phone plan, but after nine o'clock at night, they were free. Do you remember that? It was nine o'clock. I was in Eastern time. She was in Central time. So I had to wait till 10 o'clock at night and then they were free minutes. All right. And so I would wait till ten o'clock of the evening to go call my wife up, it was nine there, and I would talk to her on the phone, all right? Too long, okay, too long. But I long I, I looked forward to that. The conversation on the phone or the card in the mail or those things. Why? Love. Where do you hear from God? Where will you meet with Him? That book that book abide in his word it's here that i find out who he is and how much he loved me and what he would have for me as a result of my love for him it's here that my life has changed and it's as i walk in that word and his holy spirit does work in my heart that i know the joy of abiding in his love abiding in his love and you can try to find it anywhere else That joy is found as we walk in the Lord, abiding in his word. We didn't come here this morning because we had to. At least I hope you didn't. We came here this morning because we get to. Friend, we didn't come to church to get out of church, did we? We came here to get into church. I didn't come here to sing because I had to. I came to sing to my Savior because I get to. I didn't come here to hear from his word because I have to. I came here because I get to hear from his word. When I open up the scripture tomorrow, it won't be because I have to. And I fear what will happen if I don't. It's because I get to. As I spend time in prayer with him, it won't be because I have to. It's because I get to. Why? Because I love him. And he first loved me. There was a church in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus. The Lord commended them for many things. And then he made this statement to them. I have somewhat against thee because you have left your what? first love he said one thing your love is waning duty rather than delight it had become a duty rather than delighting in his word it had become a duty of their life rather than delighting in his house it would become a duty of their life friends sometimes it is good to do things because it is duty but it is not a good place to stay marriages are in trouble when husbands are there purely because of duty and wives are there purely because of duty. Now do it because it's right. Don't get me wrong. Don't abandon when it's that way. But friend, you're in trouble if it's you're doing it just out of duty. You're in trouble. If you're following God out of duty, you're in trouble because it's meant to be love. We love him Because he first loved us. Go backward for a minute. Look back at the love he has declared towards you. From the moment of creation, as he spoke this world into existence, a matter of fact, he told Adam and Eve, I'm giving you dominion over this whole world. I made all of creation. And here it is. You were made in my image, though. My image, the love of God the knowledge of the good and evil, that tree, why place it there? Because he wanted them to make a choice to love him by their own free will, not because he made them. When they would choose the wrong choice, he would send his son to die on Calvary that we might make another one to follow him and to trust him or reject him. You have a choice today to accept him or reject him because he loves you. Heaven are here or there because he loves you. Got to make a choice. Will you follow him, the resurrection, the life, or will you reject him and find death and destruction? It's just the nature. You choose the opposite of God. You get the opposite of God. Love. And he declared it at Calvary. And there is a love that not only that he has commended toward us, but as it does a conforming work. And the result of abiding work or an abiding in the love of God is the joy of the Lord. Isn't it amazing that Paul and Silas about midnight... They had been doing the work of God. They had been spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. The lady had come to know the Lord and the crowd got mad because they lost their living. Doing God's work, they were taken and unjustly and illegally beaten. Paul was a Roman. They were Romans. They shouldn't have been laid hands on. Illegally and unjustly, they were beaten and thrown in jail. Right? But what happened? They sit there and say, look what we get for serving God. Look what we do for leaving all traveling so far from our homes to share the gospel with these people Look what happened. I think I'll quit That's not what they did They began to sing and praise the lord To rejoice in the lord always and again I say rejoice why? Because there was one who had suffered so much for them already And they had a part to fellowship in his sufferings There was one who loved them enough that he had suffered for them and they would love him in return enough to suffer for him. And the joy of the Lord was there because they got to suffer for their Savior. Love. The love of God. It is what constrains us, it's what conforms us, it's what brings joy of the Lord in our life. Friend, guard it. Don't let sin sin steal it or stamp it out, but love him. When sin is beginning to put distance between you and God, confess it, forsake it, and run back to his word and spend time with your God. Because love is what's supposed to move the Christian. Love is what made God leave the Son of God leave the throne of heaven and come to this earth and die for us. And Love is what is meant to make us serve him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in church on a Sunday morning with your people to know the love of God to have heard the gospel story and what you did for us. And to put my trust in the Lord and see you at work in my life. To be with a bunch of people this morning that are here not because they have to be. But because they chose to be. Why? Because you first loved us. Lord, where you have spoken to our heart, I pray that we would respond. Maybe it's just a simple reminder of how much you love us. Maybe it's because we've allowed our love to grow weak for the Lord. And we need to return and get some things out of our life that are quenching our love for you. That we wouldn't be like that church at Ephesus that had lost their first love. The Christian life wouldn't sink to a place of duty, but rise to a place of love for Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this question this morning. If you're here this morning, how many of you could say, Preacher, I, I am saved? There was a time in my life when I put my trust in the Lord, and if I died this very moment, I know that I'd be here with Him because I called upon Him. I've trusted in Him. And heaven is my home. That's a sure thing for me. That's a settled thing for me. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? You say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. I've trusted in Him. Thank you, you. May put your hand down. Is there anybody here this morning say, Preacher, I'm unsure of this? You've talked about how He's died for me and how He loves me, but I could not say that I've called upon Him and trusted in Him. And I'm unsure about where I'd spend eternity. I'm unsure that I know Him personally. I may know about Him, but I'm sure I know Him personally. But this morning, I'd like to put my trust in Christ. I'd like to call upon Him. Is there anybody like that? You'd raise your hand and say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I want to put my trust in the Lord this morning. Let me ask you this then, Christian. You'd say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. I don't know where it may be. That's between you and the Holy Spirit, but... Maybe it's just a reminder. Sometimes we need to be reminded of how much God loves us. We allow our focus to get in the wrong place and we begin to forget about his love. It's, or maybe it's a fact in our mind, but not something we're living out. But we get far from the love of God. Christian life becomes a duty rather than delight. We dutifully go to his house. We dutifully run to his word and we dutifully serve rather than delighting in the Lord and his word and his house and in the service of God. We lose our first love. And God said, why don't you love me because I first loved you. Maybe it's a matter of loving your brother. Friend, do you love those around you? Are you willing to lay down your right, your life, and love as Christ has loved you? And love as Christ has loved you. Be careful, friend. Because if you can't love like that, you're in trouble with your God. Because he has loved you that way. I don't know where it may be, but you say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this morning. Would you raise your hands as a testimony and say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. Would you stand with me as the pianist begins to play and as God has spoken to your heart this morning, the altar's open and here at the altar, there in your seat, as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord. Maybe it's just offering up a thank you, Lord. I, I want you to know that I love you. When's the last time you just, in all honesty and sincerity, told the Lord, Lord, I love you and here's why. Thank you for the day you saved me. Thank you for what you've done in my life. But as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord this morning.